Hi, this is Conrad Janis. I'm the next guest on On Screen and Beyond. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. Welcome aboard. This is episode 243 of On Screen and Beyond. I'm your host, Brian Zemrak, and this is the weekly show that keeps you updated on what's coming your way as far as upcoming new movies, remakes, sequels, and TV and movie DVD releases, as well as our interview segment with a guest from the movie, TV, or music industry. This week, we have a great guest coming your way once again. We always do, because these people are just fascinating. And it's Conrad Janis. Conrad, uh, of course, is, uh, was on Mork and Mindy. We just, you know... Loved him on that show. He played Mindy's father on the show. He did such a great job. He was in Quark. He also is an accomplished jazz trombonist. And we're going to talk about all those things, his movies. He, his career started back in 1945, I believe it was. And he's got a film out now. It's called Bad Blood, The Hunger. So we're going to talk about all that stuff. And it's coming up in just a few minutes right here on On Screen and Beyond. So I hope you're going to stick around. And uh, let's see here. Got a suggestion for On Screen and Beyond? Send it to us at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com. I'll see what I can do about getting it on for you. Be sure to tell a friend about On Screen and Beyond. I'm sure that there's somebody that we have listed in our 243 episodes that they would enjoy hearing about. Some uh, performer from either from the past or from a new show. So many people with so many great stories. So check it out at onscreenandbeyond.com. And I guess that is about it. Uh, we are going to be getting ready for the holiday season and everything here. And uh, we've got some great guests lined up for 2013. Things are just moving along here. It's already 2013. Uh, six years we've been doing this at On Screen to Be On and six seasons. And we've got uh, some great guests coming your way. So be sure to stick around. And that's it. Why don't we get going right now into finding out what's coming away as far as Remake Madness right here on On Screen and Beyond. Please hang up and try again. Remake Madness. Well, Al Pacino will star in King Lear, a remake of the classic Shakespeare tale. It is uh, looking for a 2013 release. And a remake of the Boston Strangler story is in the works from Casey Affleck. And look for Johnny Depp as he's working on remaking Don Quixote into a modern-day version for Disney. So we'll see what he does with that one. Uh, Jack Sparrow went well for him, so we'll see what happens. That's it for Remake Madness. Upcoming movies are next right here on On Screen and Beyond. Upcoming new movies, well, Tom Hanks will produce and star in a film called in the Garden of Beasts in 2014, and it follows a mild-mannered Chicago professor who becomes the ambassador to Hitler's Germany just before the Nazis begin their invasions. So uh, that sounds like an interesting one. And Chloe Mortez and Jessica Biel will star in The Devil in the Deep Blue Sea. And that's coming away in 2013. It's about an architect who loses his wife, and he befriends a wise-cracking young girl, and agrees to help her build a raft across the Atlantic. Hmm. And George Clooney will star in Disney's 1952. 
It's a Brad Bird sci-fi film. That's it for upcoming new movies. Next on On Screen and Beyond, taking you down to Sequel City to find out what's coming your way as far as sequels, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Sequel City. Well, Disney is still moving forward on a sequel to Tron Legacy, and they are negotiating with screenwriters to write the movie. Disney's Enchanted 2 is still uh, listed as in development with Patrick Dempsey and Amy Adams still in the lead roles. But, uh, you know, we'll see what happens with that. And Smurfs 3 is looking for a release in 2015. That is it for upcoming sequels at Sequel City. Next on On Screen and Beyond, what's coming your way as far as TV on DVD? TV on DVD, well, January 29th, the award-winning Downton Abbey Season 3 will be released on DVD. And on February 19th, you can look for a four-disc set of The Life and Times of Grizzly Adams Season 2 as it comes to DVD. And February 12th, the complete third season of Family Matters makes its way onto DVD. That is it for TV on DVD. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, what's coming your way as far as movies on DVD? We're going to tell you. Movies on DVD. Well, Kevin James, Here Comes the Boom, hits DVD in February. And Quentin Tarantino's The Man with the Iron Fists will also arrive in February. And you can also look for Ethan Hawke in Sinister as it lands on DVD in February. A lot of stuff coming your way in February. That is it for movies coming your way on DVD. Next on On Screen and Beyond, we sit down with Conrad Janis. He was uh, Mindy's dad on Mork and Mindy. And that was in the 70s and 80s. And he also is a very accomplished jazz trombonist. And he's made a lot of movies. His career started back in the 1940s. And he's still making films today. And his latest is called Bad Blood, The Hunger. It's a horror movie. You're going to like it. And uh, he's going to talk about it. It's coming up next right here on On Screen and Beyond. Today's guest on On Screen and Beyond is an actor, producer, director, and jazz musician. He has appeared on many TV shows and films over the years, and many of us remember him as Mindy's dad on Mork and Mindy in the 70s and 80s. His latest film is Bad Blood, The Hunger. It's Conrad Janis. Conrad, welcome to On Screen and Beyond. Hiya, Brian. I remember me on Mork and Mindy. <laughs> I had a good time doing that show. We we did it with Robin Williams, who was, of course, marvelously insane. Oh, yeah. Geez. And uh, we had a wonderful time with, with Robin and, and Pam Dauber, who right. I see from time to time. I don't see Robin very often because he's so busy, but Pam... Pam, we see from time to time. Really? She's terrific. Yeah, she's married, you know, to Mark Harmon. Yes. Who is uh, the 
lead on the number one television show on the air, NCIS. Yes, yeah. Jeez. And they've been married for years and years, and um, uh, uh, very happily, too. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, we'll talk about Mork and Mindy in a little bit, but I'd like to start off with your current project, Bad Blood, The Hunger. Oh, Bad Blood, The Hunger, yes. This is, this is a movie that was written by my wife, Maria, mm-hmm. and it's, a, it's based on a true story. Oh. Uh, about when she lived in, she was brought up, uh, even though she's American, was born in America. Her family, was, she, her father was in the army, and he got shipped over to Morocco, uh, and they were in Morocco for nine years. Wow! And so, from the time she was nine till the time she was fourteen, she lived. She lived in Casablanca which uh, I suppose is a very exotic place to live, mm. uh, although her memories of it were not altogether uh, uh, altruistic, let us say. Uh-huh. Uh, but at any rate, uh, she was living over there, and one day when she was about eight or nine, she went with her mother to uh, and her brother to a shish kebab place, and while they were ordering their shish kebab, a woman at a neighboring table started to scream, uh, you know, one of these Hitchcockian-type screams, mm-hmm. and got up and threw her table over uh, in a panic. Wow. And Maria remembers very clearly she was wearing turquoise sandals, and near the sandal fell part of the woman's sandwich, and in the sandwich was a baby's finger. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so that was quite a traumatic experience for Maria. I would say as so. I'm sure it would be for anybody. And that is the more or less the basis of this uh, uh, of of the memories that that uh, caused her to write this movie, Bad Blood, The Hunger. And it it, it does deal with a kind of a. Uh, a cannibalistic cult here in California, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's a uh, 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 it's it's actually it's Romeo and Juliet with cannibals. is really <laughs> what it is, and it's been playing in movie theaters across the country, uh, and uh, uh, it was played out here in Los Angeles and you know all across the country, and we had it play in in uh, we were very happy because it was going to play in New York and Philadelphia, and Boston, and, of course, the hurricane. Uh, Sandy yes. came along mm-hmm. uh, just recently, and all the theaters were shut because they were all flooded. Right. And so we had, that was exactly when our movie was booked into these theaters, uh, in you know, these theater chains in New York, and they all got shut down wow. uh, because they all lost their power. And so we lost our East Coast distribution on the movie. We're trying, we're trying to re, redistribute it back there, and, and we, we well may. But uh, we did have it all set up, and uh, it was all, all, you know, we had made the copies of the film and sent it all on to the theaters, and everything. they were all ready to go mm-hmm. when, when this hurricane hit. And so we lost our, uh, we lost our theaters back in, in the East, which was a big part of our market. Yeah. So uh, we were very uh, uh, appalled that these these poor people had to go through this awful experience. But one of the fallouts of it was that we we did lose the distribution of our movie back back in the east. Mm-hmm. Now, now this is the issue. It uh, Maria has decided that she's going to give all the money we make to the uh, 
charities that uh, the Red Cross and so on. Well, that's that nice. Trying to help the people that got dispossessed by this hurricane. Wow, that's great. So uh, if, if, if and when it is released in the East in those theaters that we missed out on, any, any, uh, any and all monies that we make from it, we will, we will from the theatrical release, uh, that we missed out because of the storm, we will give to charity. Wow, that's great. Uh, you know, to, to, to help the people of the uh, hurricane. Yeah, yeah. Now, you also directed this, right? Yes, I did. Uh, uh, we, it's the second film I directed that Maria wrote. Uh, the first one was called The November Conspir- Conspiracy, and it starred George Siegel and Elliot Gould and Bo Hopkins and wow. Dirk Benedict, and I was in it, and my wife Maria was in it, and... Uh, Lois Nettleton and Virginia Capers and Paige Turco. We had a wonderful cast, yeah, and it was a, a kind of a, a political thriller, and it did very, very well, especially in Europe where they love that sort of thing. You know, mm-hmm. where where there's a problem with the White House, they love they love that. <laughs> you know, there's murder in the White House. That's, yeah. That's, in Europe, they just think that's great. So we did a, a terrific business, especially in Germany. In Germany, they just they 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 renamed the film. They it was called the November Conspiracy. Then then they pirated the film and they called it the Death List, and uh, uh, you know several other different names. Uh, uh, under uh, they got a hold of a copy of it and and run it off and pirate it yeah geez. and sell it you know on the open market there for a buck or a couple of bucks yeah and they sell it in the street wow <laughs> so, uh, but they do that with all the films that's, yeah that's yeah. one of the great problems when you get a, a, if you're a member of the motion picture academy and you get to vote on you know for the academy awards for mm-hmm. the nominations and then for the final. Uh, 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 Who's, whoever is going to win the Oscar, the final five, uh, you get to vote on. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that that um, uh, they warn you about is that you are not allowed to even lend the copy of the film to a friend of yours on the fear that it might fall into somebody's hands and they might pirate it because you are getting a pristine copy of it or we all, uh, members of the Academy, get a pristine copy, which is copyable by uh, electronic means. Uh, and yeah. all they need to do is to get one of those, and then they can turn out a million, uh, a million copies of it and, and, and take your movie, and, and instead of it selling for 8 or $9, as it would, you know, on a DVD, they can sell it for a buck or something like that. Right. And uh, naturally, they make the money on it, and 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 the company loses the money, and they send you a plethora of warnings. Uh, the FBI is after you. The uh, <laughs> uh, the, the California uh, uh, patrol is after you. You know, yeah. uh, if you do any of this sort of thing, and the actual uh, uh, CD that they send you is watermarked with your with your number on it so that if it turns up pirated that watermark will show and they'll be able to trace it wow. back to you and there's all there's a $250,000 fine you can go to jail for 5 years i mean it's a, the, the whole pirating thing is is fantastic right yeah and it's worldwide and every everybody who issues a, a dvd is 
lives in fear that somebody will take one of the pristine copies and pirate it, and 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 of course they will. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 And and nowadays, sometimes they don't even care if it's a pristine copy. It can be something somebody taped with a camera. Sometimes and they. Well, that's true. They they do sometimes with a big big movie. Right. Yeah. Uh, the hunting hunting game or the. Uh, uh, Cloud Atlas or something like that. Mm. They'll sit in a theater with a, a special uh, machine and just copy it and then sell it that way. But they don't really have to because it isn't, isn't very hard, apparently, to get a hold of a pristine copy. Really? Yeah. Jeez. And even if you buy it and and you uh, then go take it and uh, uh, copy it and, and sell it. They try, they try to uh, avoid it with uh, certain electronic uh, means, but there's always a way around it apparently yeah yeah anyway you know that's just one of the one of the problems of <laughs> movie making right. in the electronic era yeah now piper Laurie was in this film with you correct yes she was three time academy award nominee piper wow. Laurie. Yeah. absolutely i remember her from the paul newman movie uh uh the hustler yeah yeah now have where you... she she played the uh, girlfriend and she was she was absolutely marvelous in it, and of course, she was nominated for an Academy Award. Right. She also played Carrie's mother in yes. that uh, movie, and was nominated for that. And she was nominated for a third movie, which I can't remember right now. Yeah, but had you worked with her in the past? No, I never had met her in the past. Oh, yeah. Uh, but she read the script and loved the script, and insisted that we uh, all get together, the entire cast, and before before she accepted it and read the script through around a table as if it was a play. It's what you do with a play, mm -hmm. Broadway play, the very first day of rehearsal. Everybody sits around when you have the script in your hand, and you read the script uh, 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 all the way through for the first time. It's the first time the author has heard it read, you know, with the people who are going to play it. And the director has heard it read, and everybody gets to hear everybody's interpretation of it, and the director either likes it or he changes it or whatever it is, or, and the writer rewrites or doesn't rewrite and whatever it is. So, so that, that was the first thing we did, and, uh, 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 and uh, it, it was, uh, she insisted on that, uh, and then from that reading she decided that she liked the project a lot, and especially the lines of dialogue some of which I had and some of which Maria had. And she said, well, I like that line. I think I ought to say that line. <laughs> and then she'd say, I like, I like that line that you have there about Oscar Wilde. I think I ought to say that line. And so <laughs> Maria, who was the author, said, okay, well, if she wants to say the line, if she'll do the part, fine. Yeah. She's a marvelous actress, and she's well-known. She's a three-time Academy Award nominee. So the, and, and she's won all kinds of Golden Globes and all of that sort of thing. Right, yeah. So we, the least we can do is, uh, is allow her, her uh, you know, to, to take a line here and yeah. a line Does there. that happen a lot in, uh, in other no, movies? No, not, not that I know of. I never knew that it had. I never heard of an actress saying, oh, that's a terrific line that you have. I think I ought to say that. Huh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, my character should say that, hmm. uh, she said. So I never, I never, uh, no, I never did hear of that. Yeah. So this is your, uh, the sequel, right, to the original 
No, Good. no, no. This is oh, a completely not. different film. Oh, it is. Okay. So the one, the one, uh, uh, the original one was called the November Conspiracy, and it was a pol- political action thriller, where George Segal was uh, played uh, somebody who was a nominee for uh, going to be a nominee for president of the United States, and Elliot Gould was going to be his vice presidential nomination uh, nominee, and uh, there were a series of murders. Uh, and chicanery uh, all around the nomination, uh, uh, leading up to to uh, uh, the time when the election would occur. And George and Elliot were uh, in it knee deep. And finally, at the very end of it, uh, Elliot, uh, who was the vice presidential candidate, turns out to be the villain. Hmm. But they're very well hidden. You don't you do not not you don't realize it till the end of the movie. Yeah. He's a kind of a comedy character up until the end of the movie when all of a sudden he turns and he becomes this uh, very uh, guy who's been behind the, all of these murders. Uh-huh. So it, was, uh, it, it did very, very well uh, in this country, but, but really well in Europe. Yeah, yeah. And as I say, the Europeans love that sort of thing. So with Bad Blood, The Hunger, is that going to be coming out on DVD you oh, know, yes, in, in distant yes. future? Yes, it will. It will come out on DVD and video on demand and net netflix and uh tv and and so on uh uh all of that this we had now was just the theatrical release yep. mm-hmm. which is now only the first step it used to be everything uh you know you'd release it theatrically and whatever it did it did and that was the that was the uh, extent of the money making in the movie but today there are all of these different platforms Video on demand, for instance, where you call up on the phone and you subscribe to this thing, and you call up and you say, "Well, send me Bad Blood, The Hunger," and they they send it to you electronically, uh, and and they charge your account, and then then you can run the film on your television as mm. as uh, often as you want. Yeah, yep. you know th- that sort of thing. Then there's Netflix, where they actually send you a a, a DVD of the film. And then you you watch it and you, you keep it for a certain amount of time. You have to send it back. There are all of these formats now that yeah. that uh, it's possible that. Uh, of course, we have screens now that that are sixty inches big, eighty inches big, and that's almost like a movie screen, especially if it's in your home. Right. <laughs> and it's very convenient for a lot of people to have a screen that size. And to watch, you know, regular television shows and all the movies you want to watch, uh, you know, that you can buy for five ninety nine or or three ninety nine or whatever the price is, mm-hmm. and it's extended the life of movies into the home in in a very meaningful way. Oh, it's yeah. quite interesting because you can see a major movie on a large screen television. And you get almost the same effect as you would in the movie theater. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Without the screaming kid next to you. <laughs> well, uh, that in a way, uh, you know, it's interesting because it's you go to a movie theater, it's a sort of a social event. Right. Yes. I mean, part of it is the fact that you're surrounded by an audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the audience is reacting and you're, you're part of that reaction. Right. And... Uh, Sometimes you know if you're in a you're, you're in a Hitchcock movie or that type of movie, and something happens and the audience screams, it's it's uh, it's very contagious. Oh yes, know? yeah. Uh, uh, it's it's part the audience becomes a part of the actual production of the movie. Mm-hmm. So so it is interesting it, it, to see them in in a group because 
uh, also in the theater. That's one of the things that makes theater live. The actors are live, and the audience is live, and there's an interaction between the two. That's uh, uh, that's uh, great fun, both for the audience, but and especially for the actors. The oh actors, yeah, I loved being on the stage in front of a live audience. Yeah, because you can actually you can you can you can feel them reacting. You can you can you can control their 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 emotions through the means of the play. I mean, you don't do it; the play does right. it. But you're the actor saying the line, so you get the feeling that you're partly responsible for for controlling and moving these. You can move them to tears, you can move them to to, to fright, and and so on. And it's 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 a, a, a wonderful social experience. So I don't think that's ever going to disappear. I don't think movies will ever disappear because I think the social experience of going in a group and seeing it in a group, even if it is with strangers, is is quite quite a, a good part of the movie-going experience. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, was acting always what you wanted to do when you were growing up? Well, yes. As a matter of fact, uh, I had always played the lead in all my school plays. When I, I went to the private schools in New York, and one of the things they did was, was plays, and I always got, I always got the lead in the, in the school play. And when I was 13... Because I had played the lead in the school plays, one of the young men, in, in uh, young boys in, in my graduating class, happened to be a walk-on in a Broadway show uh, called Lady in the Dark with Gertrude Lawrence, a very famous musical, uh, which was in the late 30s. And he said to me, listen, uh, Conrad, you, you, you're always acting and everything like that. I'm going up to audition for a part in a new play called Junior Miss, and would you like to come along with me uh, to the audition? And I thought, well, uh, sure, I'd, I'd like to see what it looks like backstage and everything like that. So we got to the Lyceum Theater, which is a Broadway, a famous Broadway theater. It's 100 years old today mm-hmm. and still going and uh, still, still running Broadway, top Broadway plays. And... Uh, there was a line through the the, the uh, theater out and down the street and past uh, 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 several uh, ho- uh, stores and so on on the street and uh, uh, it was about four four deep and it was all young men who uh, s- some of whom were uh, you know uh, in their teens but most of them were older you know they were actors and they were older this this is 1942. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, I uh, got to the front of the line, and Moss Hart was the director, the famous Moss Hart that they wrote a book about and was one of the great directors and playwrights of the 30s and 40s in the theater in New York, back when the theater was, you know, a, a much, much more of a going concern than it is today. And Moss Hart was the director, and he said, all right, everybody go upstage. Well, upstage means towards the back of the theater. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I was, had never heard that expression before, and I thought upstage, that must mean you walk to the front of the, you know, you walk down towards the footlights, mm-hmm. uh, 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 towards where the audience is. So everybody went, went back, sta- back to the back of the theater, which is what upstage is, and I went downstage, to the front of the theater, and Moss Hart got a big laugh out of that. And he said, no, 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 upstage is the other way. But he had seen me, 
You know, they, they, there were about 450 kids here. They were marching him through in groups of six. So how much, you know, observation could he give? Right. Well, inadvertently, I had made a mistake, but he had seen, he had actually seen what I looked like. You know, right. I didn't become a part of the group. And so I was one of the ones that got a chance to read the lines. And uh, a week later, they called me up and said, listen, uh, we want you for the part of the play. And uh, will your parents allow you to do it? And so I turned to my parents, and I, who were very... My father was an art collector, and, uh, mm -hmm. uh, and my mother was a writer, and my father was a writer as well. And uh, they wrote on art and uh, literature and things like that. And uh, they both said, fine, and yes, that'll be fine. And so I said, yes, my parents say that's okay. They said, all right, well, report for rehearsal in, you know, three days or whatever it was. And uh, I got into the play, which turned out to be a big hit and ran for about three years. So I was 13. By the time I finished the play, I was 16. And I, we had gone on the road after a while. And uh, the minute we got on the road, I didn't go to school anymore. I was absolutely convinced that that uh, I didn't need to go to school and didn't want to go to school, so why should I go to school? And since I was on the road, there wasn't any way that anybody, even though I had to travel with one of my parents, you know, or guardian, mm -hmm. or one of my uncles or, or, or my uh, mother or father, uh, I, I, I avoided school because uh, how was anybody going to chase me in Baltimore and, you know, Boston and Philadelphia and 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 all the way out to the west coast uh, right. and make me go to school they weren't going to do it so when when uh, i had finished uh, the show i was now 16 and eligible for what they called working papers in new york which if you got your parents permission and got permission from the city you could work instead of going to school uh -huh. so i got my working papers because i wanted to be an actor now and because i had found something to do and uh, also found a way to get out of school, <laughs> and uh, so I never did go back to school. Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, but but it was interesting because the minute I got out of school and didn't have to go anymore, that's when I started reading. I started re uh, you know reading uh, about Thomas Mann, and I read Ulysses, and not that I understood it, but uh, I read it, and I read uh, uh, you know many many uh, uh, I read read about Einstein, and I read. You know, I, or I had this intellectual curiosity mm -hmm. that school was stifling, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, so the minute I got on my own, uh, I had absolutely no, no problem uh, 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 educating myself, at least uh, through books. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, uh, I enjoyed that thoroughly if I could choose my own regime. Right, yeah. Now, is that how you got into uh, playing the trombone? Well, I got into that when I, I was under contract at the 20th Century Fox. Several years later, I went out to California and uh, uh, did a movie out there called Margie with Jeannie Crane. Mm -hmm. uh, she uh, she was the lead in it. She was absolutely wonderful. And it was a sort of a high school uh, uh, play that took place in the uh, 20s. And uh, it was a wonderful film written by F.U. Herbert, directed by Henry King, who was one of the great contract directors at Fox. He directed Wilson and a lot of very heavy, uh, you know, big dramas. And he just loved it. This was all teenagers. And it was not, it was not a, uh, um, what would you say, it was not a, a, a beach 
party bingo type right. movie. It was a, it was actually a, a coming of age movie, very sweet coming of age movie of this young girl Margie, mm-hmm. and uh, played by Jean Crane, and uh, she was so, solo title uh, solo above above the title starred, and uh, it was uh, her tenth starring role, and she was making two hundred and fifty dollars a week under a seven-year contract, which in those days you started off at $75 a week, and the second year you got $100 a week, and the third year you got $125 a week, and you ended up at the end of seven years making $250 a week, which is where she was. She had starred in 10 motion pictures, uh, which was a big deal. She was a bona fide movie star in those days and making $250 a week. I had come from Broadway, because I had done several Broadway shows, and they were paying me $750 a week, as opposed to the $250 a week they were paying for Jeannie Crane, who was the star of the movie. Hmm. I had a very good part in the movie, but I certainly wasn't the star of the movie. Yeah. And uh, But coming from Broadway, I guess they thought they had to pay me uh, you know, more money. And you, you didn't complain. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, so so we did that film, and when, when we finished that film, it was quite successful. It was one of the top ten films of the year. And uh, because of it, uh, they decided to put me under contract to Fox. Uh, so I went under contract to Fox. And uh, uh, when I was under contract there, because I had come from Broadway, they didn't have me in as they did all of the other young actors, some of which were, say, Norma Jean Baker, who later turned out to be Marilyn Monroe, right, yeah. and uh, Jean Peters, who later turned out to marry Howard Hughes, and uh, uh, people like that. Uh, they brought them in every day and taught them how to, how to dance, taught them how to speak, taught them how to move, uh, taught them how to fence, uh, you know, uh, uh, and all of this of the boys anyway. Uh, and and they didn't think they had to do that with me because I had come from Broadway. Well, of course, I could have used all the instruction I could have gotten, but they thought, well, he's a Broadway actor. He already knows that <laughs> all these things. So I had all this time to kill, and while I had, you know, while I was out there and I was getting paid 40 weeks out of 52, but not working every week, and and if I didn't work a week or two weeks or three weeks, I had... I had to kill that time. I used to go listen to a great New Orleans trombone player named Kid Ory, who uh, had come up with his band from New Orleans uh, and had his original New Orleans jazz band from the teens, uh, had it out here in the 40s and 50s. And I used to go listen to him every night. And after listening to him every night for some months, uh, I had inadvertently learned everything he had done. I had studied violin and piano when I was a kid, so I had some familiarity with music. And I, I was able to hear what he was doing, and without realizing it, had, had, it had sort of sunk into my brain. So I got a hold of a trombone, which is a whole other story, which we don't have time for right now, but, but at any rate, I got a hold of a trombone, and I started to play and, you know, stumble around, but play what I had in my head, which was uh, the, the, the licks that Kid Ori used to play, which I had memorized from listening to him night after night after night. And uh, so I, I got up with a small band, 
and we uh, of kids my age. We were 18, 19 years old. And we entered a contest uh, for a magazine in New York that dealt with uh, records and recordings, and we won the contest. Hmm. So uh, uh, that was the beginning of my uh, sort of music. So you were completely self-taught then? Yes. Wow. Yes. I, I just picked up the horn and started playing. Jeez, that's great. Well, yeah. I don't know how great it was, but, no, but, that's, that, that's, but difficult. that's what I did anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, with your acting, I mean, you've been in so many... Different. Looking over the list here, my favorite Martian, Get Smart, Kojak, Police Story, Streets of San Francisco, Happy Days. It just just goes on and on. But in '77, you were on the TV show Cork. Uh, yes, yes, with Richard Benjamin. Yes, Richard that Benjamin. Henry wrote. Is that something that you auditioned for, or how did that come yes, about? Yes, as a matter of fact, uh, they had me in. They, my agent called up and said, "There's a, a series that Buck Henry has written." And they want you to come in and, and read for the part of uh, uh, somebody named Otto Palindrome. And, uh, of course, a palindrome is, uh, as you know, something that, that uh, Abel was I air, I saw Elba. It reads, it reads the same from the beginning as it does from the end. If you read it forward and read it backward, it reads the same. Yep. So the famous palindrome was Abel was I air, I saw Elba. But Otto is also a palindrome, isn't it? O-T-T-O, because it reads uh, O-T-T-O from the front. It reads right. O-T-T-O from the back. So they named me Otto Palindrome was one of the characters. It was a little conceit of Buck, a literary conceit of Buck Henry's. And it was about a, a captain of a spaceship, but it was a garbage ship. Right. A <laughs> ship that went out into the universe and cleaned up the garbage that was in the universe. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was the captain of this ship, and because he was a garbage uh, captain, uh, he was expendable. And I, as the uh, uh, director of operations, would send him on all the suicide missions because he was only a garbage collector, and if he got killed, it didn't matter. <laughs> I wouldn't send a real. So that was that was the the conceit of of the. Uh, or the, the comedy uh, aspect of the uh, uh, piece. Mm -hmm. And Richard Benjamin played the captain of this uh, 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 garbage uh, ship. Yeah. And he was very funny in it, and it was a really funny series. Yeah, I enjoyed and that. And we only got eight performances of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, uh, I, I was upset about it because I thought it was a really well-written, literate, kind of a funny takeoff on Star Wars and uh, all of that sort of thing, right. and uh, Star Trek, and uh, uh, that it, it deserved a greater fate. But it wasn't released in, in an intelligent way, and the, it never caught on with the audience. However, it is today a cult classic because it now sells uh, on CDs mm -hmm. uh, as as a unit, we only did eight of them, and all eight of them are up for sale. Yeah, and it does sell very well, and the people write about it, and so on. Yeah, so yeah. It, it it became a kind of a, a, a cult film. It was also that it was written by Buck Henry. Right, Buck Henry. I mean, and he's... Buck Henry wouldn't write anything that wasn't didn't have some sort of wit and humor. To right. It. Because he's a very, very clever guy. Oh yeah, and uh, very inte super intelligent, and also a very nice guy. He's a friend of mine. Oh really? And yeah. And he, he couldn't couldn't be nicer. Yeah. And uh, uh, he uh, 
he he did turn out a really really good show, and while it didn't become a success then, it is a success now because apparently it's selling very well as a a cult kind of a CD. Uh, 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 classic. Yeah, well, it's fun. You can watch some shows that have been on for three, four, five, ten years, but you've seen all the episodes, but these little gems that were only on for a short time, uh, for whatever reason, we never know, but it's nice to see those sometimes. Well, well, uh, we enjoyed doing it, and I thought it was, there was an awful lot of, uh, you know, really good fun in it. He had one character who was both both a male and a female, mm-hmm. uh, 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 played by Tim Thomerson. And uh, uh, so that, that, was a, that was a little bit advanced yeah. for his day. Yeah. And he had a set of twins who were uh, uh, played by uh, 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 the Barnstable twins, and they were absolutely gorgeous girls. And uh, so they they were part of the crew, yeah. and there was a robot, you know, like R two D two. Right. So on. Yeah. And uh, it, so so and and it was it was rather it was a rather clever uh, 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 script. But what happened was that it was released by the network in a very desultory way, and it never did get a chance to land with an audience mm, because yeah. they never got a chance to 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 be to make it a viewing habit right yeah yeah they they move things around so often you can it loses an audience fast well that's that's exactly what happened of course now it's it's quite quite a big success because the uh uh, CDs are selling very, very well. Right. year that ended, automatically you land on another comedic show, Mork and Minty. Well, what happened was that the producer of Quark was named Bruce Johnson. And Bruce Johnson went from Quark to being a producer on Mork and Mindy. Oh, okay. Now, they had the part of the father, Mindy's father, and they had an actor hired for it. Uh, uh, who, whom I don't, don't uh, I, mean, I, I know, actually is a friend of mine, so I won't mention his name. Mm-hmm. And he did not, he, for some reason, he didn't click in the part. Yeah. And he knew it, and they knew it, and so on the third day of, of rehearsal, uh, out of which we had five days rehearsal, and then we were going to do the show, um, they decided to replace him, and they needed somebody to replace him, so they hired me. Mm. Yeah. And uh, so I went in on two days rehearsal, and and became the Mindy's father. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you did a I great job on that show too. <laughs> well, uh, we did we did ninety some odd, and I did about sixty out of the ninety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, we had a wonderful time with it. Uh, working with Robin, as I said, was terrific fun, and Pam was. Was absolutely great. Was Robin and, as wild as we think he was? Well, he was even, uh, if I can say it, he was even wilder in those. Really? <laughs> now, what happened was was interesting, and if you have a moment, I can tell you the whole story. Sure. Uh, uh, Gary Marshall, who is a great, great producer and a great, uh, he's mm-hmm. also proven himself a great movie director. And he's also a writer and everything like that. He's a very, very talented guy. Oh, yeah. And a very sweet guy was uh, uh, the producer of Happy Days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was, that was his show. And that was a very, very successful show. As you know, it ran about oh, yeah. eight years. And it had uh, 
uh, uh, uh, Ron Howard, who is now a great director, uh, as one of the leads, and 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 Henry Winkler played the Fonz. Oh yes, he was a national sensation, and Tom Boswell was in it, and 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 Aaron Aaron uh, O'Brien was in it, and and you know they were just they had a wonderful wonderful cast. Oh yeah. So anyway. Um, uh, Gary was sitting around one day, and Happy Days came on the air, and he was there with his 11-year-old son. So he said to his son, "Son, come on, sit down. Let's watch. Let's watch. You know, this is how your dad makes his living." So uh, the kid sits there, and the kitty Gary sees that the kid is bored, hmm. and they're watching Happy Days, which is, after all, a big hit show. And Gary's 11-year-old son is bored. So Gary, instead of saying, what's the matter with you? Look, this is how your father makes his living. You should pay attention. Says to his son, because Gary is a very, very clever guy and also a very sweet guy. And he, he says to his son, well, well tell, tell me, why, why are you not, what's not interesting to you about this show? You know, he was he was interested to find out why an 11-year-old didn't think the show was amusing. Mm. Uh, uh, and because it was a, it was a very clean show and and a very uh, a, a, a sweet show, but it also had a little bit of sophistication to it. So an 11-year-old it, it, it could have appealed to an 11-year-old. Right. So the boy says, "Ah, it's boring. I want to see." So Gary said, "Well, what would you like to? How would you like to see? What would you like to see on the show?" He said, "I'd like to see Fonzie get tangled up with somebody from outer space." <laughs> he says, "I just saw he had seen Star Wars or one of those shows, mm-hmm. yeah. and he wanted to see Fonzie with a spaceman." So Gary Marshall, instead of getting upset. At, at his kid for not liking what he was doing, thought, thought about it and said, all right. And he wrote a script called Mork from Ork, which was about a, a spaceman who arrives in this country in an egg, travels from there in an egg, and the egg cracks when he lands, and he gets out, and, and he, had, he gets tangled up with Fonzie. Mm-hmm. And he's able to do all of these uh, outer space tricks, uh, you know, uh, uh, so uh, he's able to get the better of Fonzie. Well, it turned out that be- that show, uh, because of Robin, became the most popular of all of the eight years shows that they had on Happy Days. Mm-hmm. It's the number one rated show that they ever had. Wow. And when it appears... It gets a higher rating and a higher audience. You know that when they rerun it, right. all the time. Yeah. it did at the beginning, but but it it now gets a uh, the highest rating of all of their shows, and it's because of Robin Williams. Well, they found Robin incident only incidentally because they had somebody lined up to play Mork, and as you know, Mork is one of these characters who does all kinds of you know, outer space sounds mm-hmm. and 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 lear- learned all about uh, us in Amer in America and the world from television signals that leaked out into space mm-hmm. and leaked out to his planet, and so he used to watch American television, and all he knew about America was what he had learned on television. 
It's a very clever idea. Right, yeah. yeah. And so they, they got a hold of an actor to do it, and the actor couldn't cut it. He couldn't get the, all of the, 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 the comic nuances that the, the part needed, the madness that the part needed. And so three days into the run of the show, they decide, and he decides too, that he's not right for the part. Now, they only have two more days before they actually have to do the show. And there's no canceling the show. I mean, it's all, it's all scheduled. And, right. and there's, you know, they, they can't all of a sudden throw another show in there uh, 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 to compete or anything like that. So they, they, got, they got a group of the writers together, and one of the writers said, Listen, I've heard about this street mine in San Francisco who goes and, and performs in the street and it's supposed to be absolutely sensational. And uh, so they said, well, let's get him down here. What's his name? She says his name is Robin Williams. And he, Robin was at that time uh, making very little, you know, whatever he made, performing, doing street performances. Mm -hmm. yeah. In other words, he would, he would stop traffic and do a routine in front of a car. And if they liked it, they'd give him a little money. Yeah, yeah. And that's how he made his money. He, he had no job. Uh, he lived in a kind of a, uh, apparently, a, you know, a, a mattress on the floor of somebody's apartment somewhere. Yeah. Uh, you know, paid no rent or anything like that. And they came along and said, listen, come down to Los Angeles. We'll fly you down and you'll audition for this part and you have to do it we have to fly you down there today because there's no time you know to waste so robin who led a very peripatetic kind of a life anyway said okay that's fine i'll 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 i'll, I'll do it and he came down and he was more wasn't he yeah oh yes <laughs> he had he had all of the qualities that they needed he had the quick wit he had the mercurial uh uh a turn of a phrase. Uh, he was very funny and very fast. And we we know him now as this wonderful mad comedian. Right. But he always was that. Yeah. So when they saw that, it took them exactly two seconds to realize that this not only was right for the part, but that he was a a, a special kind of new comedian. Yeah. And they put him in the part. They gave him the part on the spot. Robin is one of these guys who can read the script through once, and he knows the script. He's got a photographic memory. Jeez. And so the, the time limit was absolutely not a problem to him. And they hired him, and they hired me at the same time to replace the guy who played the father. Mm -hmm. We rehearsed the two days and then went ahead and did the show in front of a live audience. And I'll tell you that I never saw an audience shower love on a performer the way this audience did on Robin. They absolutely adore as they do today. Yeah, oh yeah. He goes out there today, and the audience absolutely adores him. Yeah. And always has. And he's always had that reaction. He had the reaction when he first went in front of the audience on Mork. He apparently had the reaction, must have had the same reaction in San Francisco when he was performing for those automobiles in the street. Right, yeah. They just loved him, and, uh -huh. they, and well, they should. Right, yeah. He, he has a quality that is 
absolutely endearing. And uh, in addition to which, he's also very, very witty and very hip. And uh, uh, he, he was wonderful to work with. Uh, and wonderful to be with. He, he's just as, as pleasant off the screen as he is on the screen. And everybody, as far as I know, just adores Robin. Yeah. I never met anybody that didn't, didn't think he was just, the, you know, the, the number one guy. So the whole cast was very close? Yes, they were very close. They were great friends. Yeah, that's great. Uh, yeah. uh, he, he, he wanted to be more than friends, but she... He wasn't her type. Uh. <laughs> uh, Pam's type is is a handsome uh, model, you know, uh, uh, photographic model type. Yeah, yeah. You know, the Marlboro man. Right. <laughs> and uh, well, she married Mark Harmon. Right. And uh, was also a male model at one point, and uh, uh, it was a great athlete. He was a quarterback at uh, uh, the University of UCLA. He was on the first string football team there. Yeah. And uh, uh, he also has been acting for, for a number of years, and he's he's quite uh, he's quite good at what he does, and uh, he's a ve- he's a very pleasant fellow, and she has made a very nice marriage. They have a couple of kids. Uh, I don't know how old the kids are now. They must be must be in their teens. Right. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, Pam works from time to time. She has a beautiful uh, soprano singing voice. Oh really? I mean, a legitimate voice, not yeah. not just a it's not just a sweet voice, you know, where she sings and you say, oh, say she can sing well. She sings professionally. Uh, she she's an opera singer. Wow! And she, I mean, she has that quality voice, and it's a trained voice. She studied when she was a kid. She didn't. Uh, it's not just that she sings and it, she sounds like an opera singer. Or anything like that. She is an opera singer, mm, wow. and she did uh, the uh, wonderful Gilbert and Sullivan show called Pirates of Penzance. Yes, yes. She played the lead in that uh, uh, here in uh, at the Amundsen Theater, uh, mm. uh, and we saw her in that. She was absolutely marvelous in it. Yeah. And uh, it, you know, among among her talents, uh, she's also a wonderful actress. Uh, she uh, is also a terrific singer, and very few people know that. But she has. She could have made a living as a, a uh, uh, an operatic singer or even an opera singer. Yeah, jeez. Uh, but, but of course, well, she was a model. She was very pretty, and so she she made her money modeling. She didn't have to sing opera. She didn't have to exert herself. <laughs> but uh, uh, she 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 does have that quality. We saw her do the Pirates of Penzance yeah. here in at the Amundsen Theater in. Uh, which is the big theater in Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah. And she was wonderful in it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was, it was a really top-notch production, and she was terrific. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, uh, and then she was great fun to work with, too. She yeah. was very, very sweet. Could, couldn't be nicer. We had a wonderful time. We ran for about five years. Yeah. And uh, we had a terrific time. Gary Marshall would direct every so often. Robin directed a show or two. And uh, so, so we uh, we we did we did very well with that one. Oh, that, yeah. that, that's one of the ones that turned out to be a success. That's classic television. That's for sure. No doubt yeah. about it. Yeah. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, Conrad, I want to finish up with two final questions. Taking us away from your acting, your, your musician, your new movie, Bad Blood, The Hunger, more on a personal note, when you get to relax and watch TV, what are your favorite TV shows that you enjoy now and in the past? What have been your favorite TV shows? Oh, well, of course, uh, I like, uh, you know, the... <laughs> Downton Abbey and Upstairs, Downstairs. Very popular. Yeah. I loved uh, uh, Brideshead Revisited. I also love, uh, uh, there, there are certain comedy shows. I love The Odd Couple. was a terrific show with yeah. Jack Klugman and, and Tony Randall, both of whom I've known for years, and I, I love that show. That was also a Gary Marshall show, incidentally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I loved Laverne and Shirley. I, loved, I, li- I, like, I like some of those slapstick comedies. Uh, I, I like NCIS. We watch uh, Castle a lot, uh, uh, and uh, I like Elementary as a new show. That's yes, on, the, the, uh, like that one, Sherlock the, Holmes. Yes, and The Mentalist is also, you know, a, a, lot, a lot of them. They're wonderful. Television has has grown up uh, in the last uh, ten years, and uh, you, you really you can watch some wonderful stuff running all the way from Ken Burns and that kind of thing. Yes. And yeah. those wonderful dramas that they do on PBS to to the silliest shows. Uh, uh, I love The Voice as well. So, I mean, I, I, I think television is an absolutely sensational medium. It's wonderful fun to watch it, especially if you have a big screen. Right, yes. You know, and good sound. Yeah. And we watch till 4 or 5 in the morning, and we play the sound. We're in an apartment we play the sound at a deafening volume, <laughs> and we never get a complaint from anybody. It's absolutely terrific. Yeah. And at 4 or 5 in the morning, we're watching reruns of, of you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, criminal Minds or or or, 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 or Margie is a movie I made. Yes, yeah. It yeah. plays from time to time, and we watch... Every once in a while, one of mine comes on. We yeah, well, that's what I was going to ask you. What about movies? What are your favorite movies of all time? Well, uh, uh, I'm, I'm rather, I, I love Casablanca. I love Citizen Kane. I love uh, Blade Runner. I love the Star Wars movies. Uh, I love a great science fiction film. I also love uh, uh, Dial M for Murder and those wonderful Hitchcockian movies. As a matter of fact, Right this minute, I just opened, as we were talking, I opened up a package, and from the Academy, I received the new Hitchcock film ah. with uh, Anthony Hopkins and Helen Mirren. In yes. It. And uh, we'll, we'll watch that, that tonight. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard some good things about that. Uh, well, I've heard good things, too. Also, there are some, some great classic comedies. There's Bringing Up Baby with uh, Cary, Cary Grant, Grant yes. and Catherine Hepburn is a great comedy. And uh, I'm sorry, what? Yeah, Holiday, Holiday with Carrie. Any Cary Grant movie is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, uh, he, he's a, he was a wonderful leading man, a oh, great yeah. comedian. 
Yeah. His Girl Friday is a favorite movie of mine, mm-hmm. which was a takeoff on a Broadway play called uh, 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 The Front Page. Oh, really? And I was in that play on Broadway, huh. and uh, uh, a, a revival of it, which we did with Helen Hayes. Uh, she was in it, and uh, we had a wonderful time doing that show. And it was really, it was really exciting show. And it was interesting because Helen Hayes, in the show, plays her own mother. And the show was written by our future husband, Charles MacArthur, who wrote it along with Ben Hecht. Mm-hmm. And Charlie MacArthur was a playwright and a newspaper man, and one of these hell bent for election newspaper men. You know, these reporters who who ran out and ran to the fire or ran out and ran to the murder and all of that. And Helen Hayes' parents were very strict kind of upper-middle-class people who who had, uh, you know, pretensions for their daughter. And their daughter wanted to run away and be an actress, and they didn't want her to be. And she she somehow fixed it so that she could be. And she turned out to be one of the great ladies of the theater, Helen Hayes did, mm-hmm. and married this this reprehensible uh, newspaper man named Charlie MacArthur that she was absolutely wild about. Wow. <laughs> and, you know, just adored him. And they had a wonderful uh, uh, marriage. And uh, uh, he died young because he lived very hard. Uh-huh. You know, he was a drinker and everything like that. Yeah. But she was absolutely wild about him, and it was, he was the antithesis of what her parents expected for her. Mm. You know, a, 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 a newspaper man, yep, for God's yeah. sake. Jeez. Especially in those days when, when they were after the scoop and it didn't matter how they got it. Right, yeah. Jeez. You know, in the, those were the, the halcyon days of, of the, there was no television, and... Uh, you got your news from the newspaper, mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, their 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 uh, whole goal was to sell as many papers as they could. And it didn't matter if what they wrote was true or what it wasn't true; it just had to be close enough to be sensational, <laughs> and and sell sell newspapers. Yeah. And he came from that school, and of course, the front page is all about that kind of news news, mm-hmm. news uh, reporting. Yeah. And so we did it on Broadway, and we had a wonderful with Bert Convy, and uh, Robert Ryan played the uh, older reporter, and Helen Hayes was in it, and Peggy Cass was in it, and Arnold Stang was in it, and Julia Mead, and and uh, uh, I was in it, and uh, 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 you know we did John McIver, and uh, uh, on and on and on. Yeah. We had a terrific cast. Mm. And it was a big, big hit on Broadway, and uh, it, it was great fun to do because you got to you got to play one of these wise wise guy reporters every single night. It was fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, Conrad, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. This has been fun hearing all your stories and everything, and I I wish you luck with the uh, Bad Blood, the Hunger. Well, thank you, Brian. It is wonderful to talk to you. Conrad Janis, thank him so much for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, so entertaining to hear him talk about all the things he's done. And uh, it, it, I wish there was more time to talk to him because he's just got so much uh, information. It's, it's just so many people that um, have passed 
and uh, he has worked with. And I'm sure he's got all kinds of stories that he could share with us. And uh, just fascinating to hear those uh, stories coming our way here at On Screen and Beyond. And uh, I loved him on, uh, you know, Mork and Mindy. It was so much fun to see him on that show. And, of course, uh, Robin Williams was just totally out of it. <laughs> and just, uh, just a lot of fun. So be sure to check his new movie, Bad Blood, The Hunger. Check for it to see if it's in your area. And as it comes out on DVD, I'm sure we'll let you know about it here at On Screen and Beyond. And you can always find out what's going on as far as movie releases and in-theater movie releases. Uh, we've got reviews of all of those things at onscreenandbeyond.com. Just go to onscreenandbeyond.com and you'll see up on the top or on the side where we can you can go to movie releases and you can also go to... Uh, DVD releases and TV on DVD releases and all those different things. And we've got so much information there. Just check it out. Be sure to tell a friend. And we got some stuff that's in the works that I think you'll be interested in. I'll talk more about it uh, at another point. But a lot of people have been asking me about, uh, you know, how come we don't have any swag, you know, uh, <laughs> any uh, T-shirts and hats and things like that. And uh, we're working on that. We're going to come out with uh, with some stuff, and you can get the... Uh, you know, the emblem of On Screen and Beyond, our logo. And uh, we're just trying to figure out what we're going to do. I, I don't want to, you know, have junk made because, you know, it's, I just don't want to do that. But I also don't want to have something that's going to cost a lot either. So, But we'll see what we can do coming out with uh, something since we've had so many requests for that. And I uh, want to thank everybody who's listening all over the world. We uh, thank you, and I appreciate your emails, uh, your encouragement, uh, letting us know to keep going. And uh, we've just got more and more and more people who are lining up to uh, be on On Screen and Beyond. we just got a lot of great guests that uh, are willing to do this so we appreciate all of them we appreciate you for listening that's about it that's a wrap for this week so until next week when we once again take you on screen and beyond i'm brian zemrak and i wish you all a very merry christmas take care (laughs) 